The World Nomads Podcast Bonus Episode. Here amazing nomads sharing their knowledge, stories and experience of world travel. Uh, welcome to another episode of Amazing Nomads. In past episodes, we've heard the story of Claire and Tenny walking the US-Mexico border, Sarah Davis, who is currently paddling the length of the Nile, and adventurer and environmental scientist Tim Jarvis, as an example. This is the first time we feature a couple. Yeah, Jason and Nikki Wynn. They've traded in everyday life to satisfy their sense of adventure. Now, they're currently in the Pacific Ocean on their catamaran, exploring the world, they say, like it's 1492, sailing across oceans, weather storms and discovering adventures we don't know exist. (laughs) But prior to living on a boat, they went off-grid, travelling in an RV. Yeah, about seven years in the RV, and we've just hit uh, two years as boat owners. Are you planning to sail around the world? Well, we say we're sailing about the world. Um, you know, the around the world route is, is pretty specific, and we just kind of go where the wind takes us and wherever. You know, you talk to somebody and you find out about some location, and we think it sounds cool, and then we go there. So it's kind of like a about the world. Yeah, it, it was about like a five-year-old with a crayon. I don't think it'll be a very straight route. <laughs> well, when Alison first mentioned that she wanted to do this, Phil is a sailor and he swung straight around in his chair and he's gone, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about... <laughs> so how did two novices like yourselves, well, you're not now, you're two years in, uh, how did you learn how to sail? And, and Phil was watching your videos looking at yeah, I was checking, <laughs> technical I was, stuff. I was, I was li- uh, looking at you, lifting up all the all the benches and <laughs> checking out your water maker and see what sort of diesel you had. <laughs> yes, we we didn't know diddly squat about sailing. and We grew up in Dallas, Texas. Uh, well, we lived in Dallas, Texas before we left on our RV adventure. And there's no, like, there's no ocean. So we have a tiny lake near us that we could have learned how to sail on, but we weren't interested in sailing on a lake. So it's not like we had zero. Well, she says zero experience. We think I think we hoisted a mainsail like twice in our life before we bought the boat. But we didn't actually know what we were doing. Somebody else just instructed us. And if you would have asked us to do it again, there's no way we could have repeated it. So our skills were definitely zero. And we knew that. And we didn't want to, I guess, make a bunch of mistakes. And then also because we were documenting our journey and sharing it with the world of YouTube, we certainly didn't want to be bad examples, I guess. So we felt like it was our duty and responsibility to sign up for proper classes. So we did. We signed up for the ASA classes, which in America is the American Sailing Association. Signed up for um, a full class, which is where we got three or four different certifications in the process of a week. So it's like super fast and intense but teaches us all the basics, and we got to learn on our own boat. So we learned our own boat very well, and a lot of little ins and outs and quirks. Um, so it was, it was, yeah, we, we needed the education, to say the least. Look, can we go back to, you know, like the beginning, before you started the RV journey as well? What was it that motivated you to live this sort of lifestyle? Well, um, we were living in Dallas, Texas, and we had both started our own companies, Nikki as a makeup and stylist and me as a photographer and we kind of were at these crossroads we were pretty successful and it was going to only be more and more difficult to leave as we stayed in dallas and i don't know we had this wild idea that we don't want to live in dallas for the rest of our lives it's a concrete city it's a beautiful city that's easy to to live in but we wanted to be near the mountains and the ocean and we thought well let's let's go find a new place to live and 
you know, well, how do we take our house with this? How do we take our cats with this? Oh, well, let's buy an RV and take a road trip and find find this perfect place. That was, what, nine years ago? Yeah. And what happened was, you know, three, four months in, maybe, it didn't take long. And then we thought, well, why would you live in any one place when you could live everywhere, kind of all at once, you know, just always perpetually moving? We started realizing that what we were doing didn't have to be temporary. It was something that could very well be viable all the time. It was a lifestyle in itself. We just never thought of it that way. They say they're suffering from sedentary life of phobia, Phil. There you go. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so where where are yeah. some of the some of when uh, around America? Where are some of the best places you saw? What really sticks in your memory from that first part of the journey? Oh, you know, especially our first year on the road, we had this absolutely ridiculous bucket list of all these places we wanted to go and these festivals we wanted to attend, and we did them all. We traveled so much that first year; it was absolutely incredible but we visited a lot of the state national parks and i love you know our entire country but the west oh the west holds so many glorious places you've got you know the redwood forest is where i always say fairies and gnomes live because if they do exist in the world they certainly live in the redwood forest yeah i think that's probably one of my personal favorites yeah Yeah. right on the border of oregon and california she's talking about um absolutely stunning you just if you hit it at the right time of year before it's too sunny and before it's too cold it's just magical and there's i don't know we traveled for seven years across north america and we still have a hundred places on our bucket list that we never got to it's just unbelievable when you compare an rv trip to being on a boat in an rv there's something to look at all the time but you guys are crossing the pacific at the moment there must be massive stretches of time where you don't see anything but water yes yes and no yeah um i guess you you start to notice lots of other things uh if you're really lucky you might catch some whales which we did only for a short bit but not physically kept caught them no no yeah We see lots of dolphins and, of course, lots of flying fish who like to land on our deck, flying squid who will leave ink stains on your deck, and... Stars and moon rises like you've never seen before and just uninterrupted. You know, we uh, most people have seen the life of Pi, and we have experienced many of the things that, that are shown in that movie that just seem so fantastical and uh, imagined they're actually true and real. And that's like, when that stuff happens, that's when you're, you know, that's when you're like, wow. Yes. Nature is amazing. All right. So let's get on a bit more about the sailing part of the journey. You've been down the East coast and then through the Panama canal. So you've been, you've seen a fair few, but you went through the uh, Caribbean for a start. Yeah. So we, when we first started, we started off in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, uh, we Again, went- we knew nothing, so we learned how to sail, and we outfit started outfitting our boat with solar and lithium batteries, and a few upgrades that we had brought over from the RV. Right, like our composting toilets and stuff. Yeah, so we did all of that in Florida, sailed through the Bahamas, kind of got used to the boat, kind of learning what works and what didn't, and then finished up our outfitting, everything fully blue water ready. Um, Pretty much, we sailed back to us. We were in Florida for two months, just like totally nailing the. The, the work, and then we sailed for Panama straight away. Yeah, so we sailed through the Bahamas and then um, right to Panama, spent some time in Panama, transited the canal, which was fantastic. And then 
sailed over to Ecuador and then from Ecuador to French Polynesia. In a uh, previous episode of the podcast, we've spoken about Panama and it was a surprising destination for us. Yeah. You said you spent a little bit of time there. Were you surprised by it? We landed in a town called Bocas del Toro, which is like this little surf village. And it sort of blew us away right off the bat. And we scuba dived in these locations, and the coral was just unbelievably different than anything we'd ever seen in our lives. So that was like a, a kind of a great intro uh, into Panama that, that we thought, man, this is I, who would have thought Panama? All I know is about the Panama Canal. Yeah. I don't know anything else. Right, but it was absolutely, yeah, the local, you know, the natives and the culture that goes on in Panama is absolutely incredible. And then we went inland yeah. even and visited Boquete and yeah. the surrounding area. And the cloud forests are just incredible. And the coffee growers and oh, we visited man. the coffee farms. And it's yeah. Some of the most expensive coffee in the world. We just, we love, we're like super coffee I don't know, nerds, geeks, whatever you want to call snobs. Uh, <laughs> but, Jill, man, Panama is amazing for those coffee experiences, if you love coffee. And some of the most expensive coffee in the world is actually sold to Australia and Taiwan, which is kind of, we thought was crazy. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, Panama was definitely a big surprise for us. You got hustled in Panama, apparently. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, um, this is a tricky subject. People really get fired up. Yeah, even our fellow sailors, though, there's very divided feelings on all of that. And it's very easy to see kind of both sides of the spectrum, I guess, both sides of the argument, which is you do have um, locals or natives, whatever you want to call them, um, that feel that that is kind of their territory and that it is their right to take a fee from you if you want to come and visit their area, whether you want to anchor outside of their, you know, island or whatever the case may be. And so there are certain designated areas. There are certainly like biomarine areas and you pay a fee to anchor there and that's all fine and dandy. And then there are just areas where somebody wants to come out and basically if you want to stay, you're going to have to pay. And we had one of those situations and we had been told from a couple of other sailors, they're like, yeah, sometimes we'll come and we'll try to hustle you and other times they won't. It just depends. And we, when we first got there, we, like, bought lobsters from the local fishermen and everything else, trying to think, maybe if we help support them, they'll be nice to us. And then they still came back for more anyway. And it's not a lot of money, but it's the principle. And then on one side of the spectrum, sailors just say, you can't pay them because then you're encouraging the behavior. And now everybody's going to get hustled every time they show up. And then on the other spectrum, people are saying, you know, like, no. Uh, or, or, yes, you yeah. should pay them. It is their land. If you want to stay there, then, you know, yeah, you should support them. Like, it's not a lot of money. These people don't have much. Give it to them. Tell us how how are the cats adapting to life on board? The cats are definitely better sailors than we are. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. I'm seriously worried about the, the one of the cats that likes to sit up on top of the mainsail. And I'm so concerned that you're going to wrap it up in there accidentally <laughs> one day. Have you had any near misses with the, with two cats? We had to add um, check for cat in their checklist before raising the mainsail. <laughs> ah, seriously? Yeah, seriously. Yeah, no, he uh, he does like to go in there, yeah, but um, you yeah, you notice him pretty quickly. No, we always kind of do a little check, but when we're underway, they're they're typically pretty good about just saying. Uh, no further than the cockpit. Um, they, their sea legs are absolutely incredible. Cats are fantastic swimmers, which you may not know unless 
you need to put them in the water, but they're very good swimmers. So if they fall off, it's easy for them to get back on. We've only had that happen a couple of times, and it's always either been at a dock or at anchor, and it's usually because they're chasing a bird or a fish. What about bad weather? Uh, have you had any... Uh, storms come over you? Well, we've definitely had our lightning scares. You know, on a boat, you're the only thing out there, and there's lightning striking within 100 feet straight to the water. You're thinking, oh, crap, I'm this tall 40-something foot mass that's 12 meters. I don't know how many meters it is. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm American. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, but you're out there, and there's this pole sticking up, and you think, okay, please don't strike us. Please don't strike us. But other than lightning scares and, like, a couple... We've had a couple of squalls, you know, so you'll get knots. Yeah, 40, 45 knots kind of come at you quickly. But it's it always happens, and it seems like a half an hour, and it's over. And so it's kind of just, like, quick and dirty thing you know that happened and it was like react and then by the time you've even absorbed what all has happened and your sails are down and you're back to like kind of calm it's over and you know you're back to you know 15 18 knots of wind again and it seems like no big deal and probably the biggest seas we've seen is i think about five meters so not massive seas by any means and we know mother nature can turn on a dime at any point and and give us 50 knots of wind and and 20, you know, 20, 20 meter seas, and yeah. that's yeah. I'm not looking forward to that. Day. Yeah, yeah. So we we try to absolutely keep a very close eye on the weather, and we try to pick our weather windows and steer clear of that stuff. But yes, we haven't gotten hit by it yet. And I keep saying yet, just in case. I feel like it's a knock-on-wood kind of thing that can happen to any of us. As we said at the start of the chat, we were inspired to chat to you um, thanks to our workmate, Alison. So she's she's compiled some questions because she's absolutely binged on all your videos and your blogs. (laughs) She's got some questions I want to throw at you if you can answer these. How many pairs of sunglasses do you both own? These are very important questions, Alison. Yes. Uh, sunglasses are important on a boat. I have a tendency to break them. We have, like, sh- shared glasses, too, like, super <laughs> cheapy, like, 5 and $8 glasses. So we have probably 10 of those, like, 5 to $8 glasses. And then we each have 5 or 10, like, 20 to 30 to $40 glasses when we, you know, want to go into town or, you know. Well, and for polarizing. polarizing because and, the polarizers are actually pretty important yeah. on the water. It helps you see. You can see the reefs better. You can... Yeah, whatever's underneath you. Probably in the grab bag, there's probably 40 pairs of glasses. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Have you eaten anything weird since the sea snails in the Caribbean? Oh, um, let's see. Uh, well, we accidentally, when in the beginning, we, we weren't fishermen either. We weren't sailors. We weren't fishermen, and we would catch fish, and we would look it up, and we'd try to identify it, and we'd end up eating fish that didn't taste very good. That was... <laughs> That was pretty, pretty rough. The cats wouldn't even eat it. It was so bad. Now, one more question to finish off, and it's kind of an important one given this week we've learnt that the size of the, the plastic in the ocean at the moment is bigger than France in the Pacific, I think, specifically yep. where you guys are. Have you seen a lot of plastic in the water? Yeah. It's a real it's a real struggle, and we're, um, we have a few different companies or nonprofits we're, we're going to try and reach out to because – we're not educated enough on on everything about the reefs and the quality of the water and and what's in it. So we're hoping we can kind of work together with a few nonprofits and educate ourselves and then hopefully educate our audience on well, what yeah. type of plastic is really not that good or what things doing as what you do as a boater is not good, like what you can do in your home that would help. Yeah, it's, it is amazing. So much of it, and you don't, it's not even intentionally all thrown into 
say, the ocean. A lot of it is stuff that is from overflowing trash cans that then ends up into a river or stream and then flows down into that river and stream and out into the ocean. So it is a serious problem. We see little mini rivers of things that caught up in the currents, and you will just see a little stream of plastics and styrofoams and everything else, and it is it's disheartening for sure. Yeah, that is very disheartening, the state of our rivers and oceans. And every day there seems to be another horror story surrounding uh, plastic pollution. Yeah, yeah, terrible. You can follow Jason and, and Nikki's adventures on their blog, Gone with the Winds, which will be in show notes. Uh, by the way, I'm doing my bit for reducing plastic. We've gone bamboo toothbrushes at home. Nice one. Thank you very much. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> That's a start for you. <laughs> Snorting and everything. (laughs) Uh, Next week, another destination episode focusing on Ecuador. You'll find the World Nomads podcast and amazing Nomads episodes on iTunes and via the Google Podcast app. And if you're listening in the air with Virgin International or Domestic, thanks for choosing us to entertain you. Amazing Nomads. Be inspired.